Let's pray. All glory be to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for making a way of salvation possible for us. Even though we deserve none of your grace or your mercy or your love, it's poured out to us through your death on the cross and through your resurrection. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you for letting him take the wrath upon him so that we could be saved and spared from it. Holy Spirit, thank you for the power that you give us to live our lives for the glory of Christ. And I pray, Spirit, please, as we come to your word, would you help us to understand it in a way that maybe will give us even greater insight to the work of Jesus Christ and in a way that will certainly make us love our Savior even more because of who he is, what he has done, what he is doing now, and what he will do forever and ever. In his name I pray, amen. How do you handle fatigue? How do you do when you're tired? This is going to this is going to become a surprise, a shock to many of you. So I'm I'm glad you're sitting down because again, this is going to be shocking. You would think that my wonderful, intelligent, sweet, loving wife of 43 years would know me better than she does. You see, according to her, she claims that I get grumpy when I get tired. (laughs) See, I'm glad you're sitting down, because otherwise I know you would have fallen over with that news. And so when she says, Rick, you need to go to bed, (laughs) trust me, she's not concerned about whether or not I am getting my beauty rest. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Wow, no support for me on this one? I'm a little shocked. Um, But I would ask you to please pray for my wife, Tammy, that she can learn the errors of her way. I know, it's even hard for me to say it, right? But it is tough when you get super tired, right? It's like the man who finally, finally gave in and took his wife to a symphonic concert that she had been begging him to take her to. Well, partway through the concert, she nudges her husband and says, look over there. That guy's sleeping. And his response was, really? You had to wake me up to tell me that? <laughs> Last week, I really do have a biblical point. Okay, I'm getting there. But Last week, we looked at the incredibly busy day in the life of Jesus. He, if you remember, if you were here with us, he taught in the synagogue. That was the first thing he did. And the, while he was there, he also then cast a demon out of a man there. Then after that, he went to Peter's house where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then after that, after sundown, which was actually, we talked about the next Jewish day on the calendar, he, he healed many people of sicknesses and diseases. And he also delivered many others 
from demon possession. I hope you're with me in Mark chapter 1. I want to actually back up just a little bit. Verse 32, just follow along as I read. Mark chapter 1, verse 32, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. It was a long day, a busy day. Every time I read passages like this, it reminds me of, we talked about the key verse for Mark The book of Mark is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. After that long, exhausting day of ministry, Jesus had to have been not only physically exhausted, but I would suggest also mentally and emotionally exhausted. If you work with people, some of you teachers, some of you... In, when you are with people, there is something that just drains you it not, beyond just the physical. He had to have been exhausted. But yet, he knew what was really, really important. He knew what was key to him being there on earth. And so he refused to let fatigue and exhaustion Keep him from his main priorities. Today we're going to look at two priorities that Jesus focused on. Number one, maintaining the priority of prayer. When we lived in Indonesia, a common greeting when you would see people was Selamat Pagi, which meant good morning. Sorry, we say that all the time, right? Good morning, good morning. So Selamat Pagi. Well, sometimes, and and the response, by the way, was always the same. You would just respond in like manner. But sometimes, it really surprised me. Sometimes people, instead of saying saying, Salamat Pagi, they would say, Pagi, Pagi. That that just didn't make sense to me. Kind of confusing to me, because really what they were saying is, Morning, Morning. Well, I just said Salamat, good, Salamat Pagi, and they're saying morning, morning. Well, it did seem odd, but then I learned what they were really saying. When you repeated morning, it was basically saying really early morning. So depending on the time of the morning, when you would say Salamat Pagi, if they thought it was really early, they would say Pagi, Pagi. That's kind of what it was like here for Jesus. I want you to look at verse 35 with me. Remember the the day he had just come through, all right? Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So after that long, exhausting day, he still got up very early. What we could say is pagi, pagi. And he went out by himself to a desolate, isolated, secluded place so that he could pray. By the way, do not think, please don't think for even one second that just because he was God, that he did not get tired or need sleep any more than we do. While being fully God, he was also fully human. And because of that, we know that he had all the same physical limitations that we have, except for the fact that he was without sin. He had to have been tired. Now, how early was it here when it says 
that rising very early in the morning. How early was that? We, we don't really know. Uh, sunrise was typically around 6 a.m., which is when the day would begin, therefore, for, with, for most people. And it seems here that it was well before that time, before that 6 a.m. But again, we don't really know how early he got up, and that's not really not even the point of what we read here. My question, though, is this. Why would Jesus, the second person of the divine and holy trinity, get up so early in the morning to go away by himself and pray? Now, now some say that it was so he could be setting the example for us as to what we should do. Most certainly he did set an example for us here, but I will say that I do not think that that's the main reason that he did this. If it was to set an example, wouldn't he have brought maybe some of his disciples along with him so they could see him setting this example? Or wouldn't he have gone to a place that was where other people could see him there if, if it was all for the purpose of setting an example? Again, I don't think that's really what his purpose was. Now, a simple definition of prayer, just keep it really basic, a simple definition of prayer is communication with God. And as I think about this and as I study this passage, I really think that is why Jesus made it such a priority very early in the morning, even when he must have been physically and emotionally exhausted. You see, Jesus cherished and valued time with his Father. That is why I think he got up so early, even when it was dark, went away by himself so he wasn't distracted by other people, and he communicated with his Father. Prayer is such an important thing in a Christian's life, and it should be seen as a privilege and as a gift from God, we should never view it as an obligation of drudgery. I'm not saying that you ever do, but sometimes those thoughts creep into my mind. Sometimes you just don't feel like it, but that is so wrong. Prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. I think that's one of the important things about it. And it also then brings us into a deeper and closer fellowship with him as it focuses our thoughts and our hearts and our minds upon him. That's why I think it is so important. I love what Puritan George Swinnock wrote. He said this, Prayer batters down the strongholds of the devil. Hence, he sets his wits at work to divert men from it. But oh, don't miss this end part. It is the soul's armor and Satan's terror. Amen. I tell you, this week, for my own personal devotional time, it has excited me really encouraged me as I think about the fact that time in prayer is not a drudgery. It is this me enveloping myself with the armor that God gives me, this protection, and it is a terror to my enemy. I think that is so powerfully stated. While Jesus' main purpose, now let's, just, let's be honest, while his main purpose in verse 35 was not to set an example, he still set an example, didn't he? Yeah. He did, most certainly and I think we would be well served if we would follow the example that he set. How much closer to God would we be if we started off every day with some uninterrupted time of communication with him? Just think about that. 
Now, I am often, I've told you about this book many times, I've quoted from it, but I'm often simultaneously encouraged and motivated, and yet at the same time deeply convicted and even embarrassed by my feelings when I read from the Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. I would encourage all of you to get a copy of that. You just read one per day. It's just amazing the depth of what they wrote in these prayers. But, but being written primarily in the 17th and 18th centuries, sometimes the words might seem a little strange to us, but I still want to read part of, I want to read part of a prayer to you from that book. <clears throat> o Lord, in prayer I launch far out into the eternal world and on that broad ocean. My soul triumphs over all evils on the shore of mortality. In prayer, I find my heart going after thee with intensity and long with vehement thirst to live to thee. In prayer, all things here below vanish and nothing seems important but holiness of heart and the salvation of others. In prayer, all my worldly cares, fears, anxieties disappear and are of as little significance as a puff of wind. In prayer, I am lifted above the frowns and the flatteries of life and taste heavenly joy. That's what I want for us to experience, to be drawn regularly into that intense, deeply personal time of communication with our Father. I know it's hard. But make time for prayer. It is so important in our Christian walk, in our development, in our growth in Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers wrote in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, on these thoughts about prayer. He says, The point of prayer is not to get answers from God, but to have perfect and complete oneness with Him. The purpose of biblical prayer is that we may get to know God Himself. He goes on, he says, prayer changes me. Think of that. We often come to prayer, and we do it primarily as just all these different requests, and we're hoping that we can convince God to maybe do the things that we're hoping. There is so much more to prayer. If we approached it the way that Swinock did, if we approached it the way that Chambers did, we will understand prayer is so we can be changed as we draw into a closer, more intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, let's just think practically. How do we make this happen? How do we find time in our extremely busy lives to spend some time in communication with God? That's the challenge, isn't it? How do we do that? Well, maybe it means setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier. And may I say, that might mean going to bed 10 minutes earlier the night before. But making it a priority... Maybe it means turning off your radio when you're driving to work so that you can spend some time talking with God. Maybe it means watching a little less TV during the day or in the morning as you're getting ready for work. Maybe it means listening a little less to music. Maybe it means keeping a prayer journal that's very effective for some people. I find it very helpful to actually speak my prayers. 
rather than just praying silently. You might have much better ability to maintain focus. I don't. And so I speak my prayers quietly, but I speak them out loud because it helps me to stay more focused on this communication with God. Here's the thing. How you choose to make a regular time of communication with God happen isn't as important as the fact that you do it. Don't let a search for the perfect method keep you from simply doing it. Sometimes we're like, oh man, I just don't know the very best way to do it, and so we just never do it. The best method is the method that will allow you to do it. Simply put. Prayer is too It is too important to not engage in it. It's too important not to do. I want you to think about it like this. If Jesus believed prayer was important enough that he made it a priority in his life, shouldn't we? I think we know how that, the answer to that. It was a priority for him. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he went out so that he could spend time with his father. I challenge you to think about how you can spend a little more time in communication. It doesn't have to be super long prayers. Maybe it just means you're going to pray more often through the day in short prayers. The important thing is pray. 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 It's a gift from God that we get to talk to our Heavenly Father. Second priority that Jesus maintained was the priority of preaching. Back to our passage here. Verse 36 and 37, follow along as I read those. Remember, Jesus is there alone praying, right? And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. The, the crowds evidently returned to Simon's, Simon Peter's house in the morning. And why wouldn't they? It had been a really successful night for all of those who had been ill, for all of those who had been demon-possessed. Jesus had healed them and he had cast out demons. So certainly people would have gone and gotten more people who were ill, more people who were struggling with disease, more people who maybe had some demon oppression or possession in their lives and brought them to Peter's house. It certainly makes sense, right? So no wonder... As Peter and the other disciples got up in the morning, they looked out and they probably saw another crowd of people. No wonder they decided, man, we have to find Jesus. Anybody seen him? No, I didn't see him. Did you, did you see When did he get up? I don't know. He's gone. That's all I know. So it says that they were, were looking for him. They searched for him. And I don't want you to think that that meant they were just kind of casually, you know, strolling through the daisies, looking around. Oh, I wonder if Jesus is here. No. The Greek word that Mark uses, it's very intense. It means to pursue, to diligently search for, to hunt for. Think of the hunters this time of year, right, out in the woods. They're not just like, you know, if I see a deer, it's no big deal. If there's a deer, if they see tracks, they are going to pursue it. They're going to try to find that. That's what the disciples were doing. Certainly that makes sense, right? They were extremely eager to find Jesus because there were a lot of people who had come that morning to be healed. There were people to heal. There were miracles to do. Miracles to do. So the disciples, they figured what they needed is to find Jesus. I think that's a pretty good plan, personally. So I suspect that they probably were not only surprised, but I would say even disappointed with Jesus' answer. Verses 38 and 39. 
And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, let us go, let us go back and heal all of the people who need that. Right? No, you're, you're like, where is he reading? I am making that up because that's what the disciples might have wondered. Look at what the text says. Jesus said, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It wasn't that Jesus didn't care about the people in Capernaum, about their physical needs. Verses 29 through 34 that we looked at last week make it abundantly clear that he did care. In fact, next week we'll pick up again seeing how he cared for more people in regards to healing. It's not that he didn't care at all. It's just that Jesus knew the people had a much greater need than just physical healing. They needed spiritual healing. They needed salvation. And that's why he preached to them. Well, what did he preach? Well, we saw this a few weeks ago. Just look back at verses 14 and 15. Of chapter one. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We know what he preached. That's what he preached. Now, how much he may have revealed at this point in his ministry, as he's talking about here, to that he was indeed the gospel, that he was indeed the good news, that he was indeed the one who could free them from their sins, we can only speculate. Personally, I think that that message became increasingly more prominent later on in his ministry. I see no reason to think anything other than what he just was preaching back here earlier, what we just saw here in verses 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe In the gospel. He preached the need to repent of their sins. He preached the need for the people to believe in the gospel because that gospel from God is what can save them. And as he said in verse 38 again, he said, that is why I came to preach that gospel message. And so he preached throughout all of Galilee. Aren't you thankful that Jesus never lost sight of his purposes, of his priorities. He came and he prayed privately. Had to be exhausted. And yet he got himself up early in the morning so he wouldn't be distracted by other people. He prayed privately because he cherished that time with his father. And I think that Jesus needed that time for his spiritual and emotional refreshment. It was that important to him. But as we saw, he had another priority. He prayed privately, but he also preached publicly. Because that's what the people really needed. Their greatest need. Physical healing is wonderful, but it's temporary, right? Because we still continue to age and sooner or later we all die. What they needed was something much more important. They needed to repent of their sins and to believe in God. And unlike the people that he preached to then, 
we now we have the incredible blessing and the privilege of knowing that the good news of the gospel is much more than a what. It is a who. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Everything that he did, he did for us. All of us are guilty. All of us deserve condemnation because of our sins. But all of us can be declared innocent and righteous before God, not because of anything that we can do or have done. No, we are helpless to help ourselves. It is all because of what Jesus Christ did. And so what I want to do, we're going to share together in communion in just a few minutes here, but I'm going to just kind of prepare in your hearts. I want you, I want you to reflect on these words written by John Flavel. Christ Jesus set himself wholly apart for believers. We may say, Lord, condemnation was yours, that justification might be mine. Agony was yours, and victory mine. Pain was yours, and ease is mine. The curse was yours, and the blessing mine. A crown of thorns was yours, and eternal life is mine. Jesus took upon him everything that we deserved because of our sin, and he gave us everything that we do not deserve because of his love. Because he took that punishment upon himself, we can be saved, we can be declared righteous before God. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but our position, our standing before God is complete as holy and righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is greater than any of our sins. And so we have so much to be thankful for this this holiday week. I thank Jesus for maintaining his priorities. I thank him that even when it meant dying on a cross, he did that willingly so that you and I could be saved and have life everlasting. Jesus, may we love you more with all of our hearts as we think about the reality of what you gave us through your sacrifice. Jesus, help us to be thankful for you. You deserve nothing less than our very best. You deserve nothing less than our everything. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you that your priorities did not get mixed up, they did not get deflected, they did not get redirected. Your priority is to save us. And I praise you for doing it through your blood. Thank you so much. In your name I pray, amen.